0: Before I get started on today's Mortcast, I would like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines located between 18th and 19th and Blickenwazi in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, and right smack dab um in the middle of the dairy block. Um I've you know, you've heard me enough in there, you know what I'm about to say. Um if you don't particularly care for wine just go in anyway and just enjoy yourself um it is a great atmosphere uh in the really vibrant area of uh denver lower downtown just going in and kind of just sitting down and enjoying the atmosphere of of uh you know chatting with friends in a relaxed place and uh uh, enjoying some great wine. If not, if that's not your thing, there's there's other options. But you can. They have mixed cocktails there, uh, things that just it's it's not your typical place that just get wine. Um, they specialize in wine, and in fact, some of their uh, there are some uh, uh, of the best wines I've ever had have been at Blanchard. Especially if you like, if you like uh, quality. Uh, Pinot and if you like quality cabs um, or you know basically anything just go into Blanchard it is a it is one of my favorite places to go in Denver uh, and I just go sometimes just to relax I'll take a computer with me and just start working on something it's just really a great place to go in Denver if you really want to experience really what it is like to have um, great quality wine here in Denver. They are located, uh, once again, between 18th and 19th in Blake in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. They've been open since 2018. They just celebrated their one-year anniversary. Uh, they are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. If you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you in there. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, well, this is another one of those cases where I had a whole thing planned. I, uh, the whole uh, podcast, like, actually, I actually did notes on this one, which all of anyone, one of you who listened to this knows how rare that is. I, <laughs> I usually do things off the cuff. Um, and this particular uh, podcast changed the dynamic changed for me uh, when I got news this morning that former Nuggets executive Carl Shear um, died uh, last night. He had been suffering from dementia. Um, his, he had been on a slow decline. Uh, I Last time I had seen him, the Nuggets had honored him, actually. In, um, uh, how was it, 2014? I was there with my friend Andy Feinstein. And Andy and I... Uh, had the chance to talk with Carl and sit down and have him tell us stories. I mean, even back then, you could kind of tell uh, Carl was on the decline, but he still had a great eye for stories. Uh, the Nuggets managed to honor him, because, and they, rightly as they should have honored him, Carl Shearer. Saved Nuggets basketball, Carl Shearer innovated Nuggets basketball, and Carl Shearer was responsible for defining what Nuggets basketball was. Um, and, and probably even, I would say to this day, doesn't get the credit he deserves for making the Denver Nuggets quote unquote, what they are uh, when he took over. The Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets were not even, weren't even the Denver Nuggets. They were the Denver Rockets. Uh, he had come over in the ABA from the Carolina Cougars, and he brought Larry Brown and Mac Calvin with him, and drafted um, Bobby Jones. I mean, that was, what a tremendous first start. Uh, the Nuggets were struggling. They were a middling NBA ABA team. Um, after a great start uh, to their ABA time, uh, they had tailed off, and by the 1974, were a 37-47 record. Um, their owners couldn't afford to own them, um, and uh, really a last-ditch attempt to save the Denver Nuggets was done by bringing Carl Shear in from the Carolina Cougars, who themselves were having financial issues. And that's uh, pretty much a common story with, the, uh, with most ABA teams. Most of them were struggling to survive. Uh, there was very few ABA teams that really um, were able to, to be financially viable. Um, Shear came in changed the culture and decided to brand an identity on the Denver Nuggets, which was run and gun basketball, um, taking advantage of the altitude and doing so the Nuggets won 65 games in 1974, 75. Um, they were by far the best team in the ABA that year, uh, even more than the uh, Kentucky colonels who eventually won the title that year. Um, the the Nuggets uh, were just known for a style. And the Den- city of Denver uh, immediately glommed onto them. And uh, they became the thing in Denver. Um, it was, you had two, th- and back then, this is pre-Colorado uh, Rockies uh, hockey team. So it was just the, the Nuggets slash Rockets and Denver Broncos. And the Broncos were an okay NFL team, but they had never been to the playoffs. So the Nuggets were kind of on the ascent uh, in that way. And that 74-75 team really thrilled people in the old auditorium arena, which sat about, I think, only 6,500 people. So the Nuggets won 65 games, were upset in the uh, division round by the uh, Indiana Pacers. Uh, That was famously the series where the Nuggets brought out a witch to curse, the uh, <laughs> to curse the Indiana Pacers, that is uh, a big part of ABA lore. Uh, the Denver Nuggets um, ended up being upset by the Indiana Pacers, and the Pacers went to the ABA finals, and were um, uh, defeated by the Kentucky Colonels. I talked to Dan Issel, and if you listen to my podcast uh, with Dan, uh, that was done a couple of years ago. Uh, He says that he was surprised because he was on the Kentucky Turnals at the time. He was surprised the Nuggets didn't make it. Uh, But bringing in those players, um, Bobby Jones and and, uh, Mac Calvin, uh, to complement Byron Beck and Ralph Simpson, really set the Nuggets off. And uh, they became the best team in the ABA. Uh, The next year, Carl Shearer managed to persuade away uh, uh, David Thompson. And Thompson uh, was, I believe, drafted in the, ABA by, in the NBA by uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, and he didn't end up going. I think I think also Bobby Jones was drafted by the uh, Atlanta Hawks, and he ended up coming to Denver, too. Um, the Nuggets were able to bolster this team even more after the addition of Thompson, who was a true superstar. Um, by adding Dan Issel. So the Nuggets, uh, by 1975-76, had the magical uh, three formula of three great players on the same roster. And it really set them off. That Nuggets team started off extremely well that year and um, ended up eventually winning 60 games and going to the ABA Finals. Now, before all that happened, Carl Shear had an idea, and it was to have the ABA All-Star Game in Denver, and have that All-Star Game feature the Denver Nuggets versus the ABA All-Stars, which the Nuggets won, but it was up and down, it was a great showcase of ABA basketball, there was a lot of talent in the ABA, artists Gilmore, Julius Irving, uh, George McGinnis, it's just like players, that were absolutely really good, and were, could have been star caliber AB, uh, NBA players, and proven to be later, um, and the Nuggets were part of that, you know, George Girvin, uh, oh, just people who were just that good, um, and the Nuggets won, but during halftime of that game, uh, there was an idea that Carl Shearer had come up with, along with several Nuggets staffers, to create uh, a gimmick. Uh, kind of an entertainment gimmick, and Carl Shearer was in anything. If Carl Shearer was anything, he was a great promoter and a great innovator with outside-the-box ideas. And in 1976, nothing was more outside the box than the slam dunk contest. Um, and this was back before giveaway rims, so you know, like dunking the ball actually hurt your hands. Um, and the uh, David Thompson and Julius Erving famously faced off. In this brilliant, brilliant halftime show uh, of a slam dunk contest, at which uh, Irving eventually won with his f- foul line uh, dunk, which was emulated by Michael Jordan uh, ten years later, and that was that was really what the, started the the modern dunk contest was that that moment. It was created by Carl Scheer. and in fact, the whole spectacle around the All Star Game. Was something that was completely the, the the in the mind of Carl Scheer, and it was a w- wild success for especially for a dying league. Uh, it was a wild success. Nuggets went through that year. They ended up playing the ABA finals. Actually, the entire playoff series with the Nuggets between the uh, uh, Kentucky Colonels and the New York Nets. Both series were amazing. Uh, the seven-game series the Nuggets played with the Kentucky Colonels, um, featuring Dan Issel, who was bought from the Baltimore Claws um, in 1975, was probably the best and most entertaining series in Nuggets history. It featured a brawl. It featured a malfunctioning shot clock, which probably altered the game and gave, gave a win to the Nuggets. Um, there was just that you all you can get. And plus, uh featured Carl Shearer adding bleachers, Uh, temporary bleachers to McNichols Arena to expand the capacity from 17,000 to 18,000, well, over 18,000, and uh, making it like an insane carnival-like atmosphere that people remember, those who are around to this day, remember how great that series was. The finals uh, featured, uh, the Game 6 featured the Nuggets blowing a 20-point lead uh, after they put uh, Bobby Wilkerson on David Thompson who was having a monster game. Uh, David Thompson had 40 points that game, uh, and most of them were done in the first three quarters. Um, D- Dan Issel had 30 points and 22 rebounds. It was insane, absolutely insane. Nuggets ended up losing the series in six games, uh, and that was the end of the ABA. Uh, Carl, Shear, Carl Shear was the one of the biggest mover and shakers of negotiating the ABA's merger with the NBA. And Shearer and uh, the New York Nets team uh, owner both conspired to get to try, try to go into the NBA early, which they were blocked by in uh, Dave DeBuscher, the commissioner of the uh, NBA. So there was a ton of resentment from other uh, ABA teams towards the Nuggets and Nets as the season went on. And by the end, they had negotiated a four-team merger: the Nets, Nuggets. Uh, Spurs and Pacers all went in, and the Kentucky Colonels, which could have been a great candidate for it, folded uh, because John Y. Brown uh, didn't want to own a basketball team anymore. And then he changed his mind and bought uh, the Boston Celtics in the '80s. Um, so the the, the teams uh, ended up going in the NBA. And one of the one of the most distinguishing parts of Nuggets history is the fact that they managed to be not only competitive, but thrive in the NBA when they first entered it. And it largely had to do with how talented the Nuggets were. Um, A team that was stacked with just great players. Um, And they won 50 games and won the Midwest Division their first year. Lost to the the Blazers in the uh, uh, second round of the playoffs. And then Uh, The next year, they won their division again and then uh, was probably the best and best chance the Nuggets ever had to win a title was the 1978 season. They were a better team than the Seattle Supersonics and the Washington Bullets of 1978 weren't that good. And the Nuggets uh, lost their point guard midway through the season Uh, and Brian Taylor uh, just flaked out on them. And it kind of killed killed their season, basically. And when they get to play the Seattle Super Supersonics in the Western Conference Finals in 1978, it just uh, didn't uh, didn't work. And the Nuggets were defeated in six games. And they went through a down period. Uh, but Carl Shearer was the architect of those teams. He was also the architect of the worst trade in Nuggets history. And one of the worst trades in Nuggets history and one of the best. And they were done within a year of each other. Uh, in the off-season in 1978, Bobby Jones was traded from the Nuggets. He didn't want to leave, but there were some circumstances surrounding Bobby Jones' health that probably were indicating to him, to uh, Carl Scheer, that he couldn't stay as a Nugget. Uh, he traded um, Bobby Jones, the, who was basically the heart and soul of the Denver Nuggets, uh, to the Philadelphia 76ers for George McGinnis. Um, by the time of 1978, George McGinnis was not the player he was in the ABA and basically loafed about uh, <laughs> and had injury problems and, and it just didn't work. The 1979 Nuggets were a disappointment. Uh, they had lost to the Lakers in the first round of the playoffs in three games, uh, even despite the Nuggets having home court advantage. Uh, it just was it was not a good look. The Nuggets just didn't have it. And. Um, the team looked like they were on a decline a bit. Midway through that season, um, Larry Brown uh, decided to quit, and it just was bad. And a lot of that had to do with the trade of of Bobby Jones. Uh, As I was said before, Bobby Jones was the heart and soul of the Denver Nuggets, and it just kind of looked like the Nuggets didn't have it. So at the end of that season... Uh, midway through the '79-'80 season, um, McGinnis just wasn't working, so the Nuggets went to the uh, Indiana Pacers and said, "We will give you George McGinnis back. Uh, your your once and your once once big big time star in the ABA. We'll give you him back if you give us Alex English." And trading George McGinnis, who had nothing by that point and was, as I said about. Uh, Uh, Ricky Pierce, when the Nuggets acquired him in 1996, uh, he was a corpse. Well, that was basically basically George McGinnis in 1979. They got Alex English from them for uh, George McGinnis, and it was maybe the best trade in Nuggets history. Uh, You could argue that the Fat Lever trade was also up there. Uh, You could also argue the Chauncey Billups trade in 2008, but I would say that Considering the player they got and his impact for a decade, you can't underestimate the impact that Alex English had on the Denver Nuggets. And that trade really propelled the team uh, through the 80s. And some of their best teams featured English and Issel and uh, Kiki Vandaway. And, you know, David Thompson was in a descent into uh, steep drug addiction by this point. And wasn't long for the Denver Nuggets. And really the team re- uh, relied heavily on Alex English. From 1979 to 1982. To kind of pick the team up through uh, uh, the Doldrums. Also a key hiring was fi- uh, was firing Donnie Walsh. Who had taken over for uh, Larry Brown. And hiring uh, Doug Moe. Another great move by Carl Shearer. By 1984... Uh, it, Red McCombs had had really officially bought the Denver Nuggets in 1982. Uh, And it was clear that it wasn't going to work out between him and uh, Carl Shear. Carl Shear left in 1984. Uh, He was replaced by Vince Barilla, who was a player in the ABA and uh, eventually took over as a GM uh, for several teams. And uh, he came back to the Nuggets. He was on the Nuggets in like the late 60s and came back to the Nuggets. And uh, engineered the fat lever trade. Uh, but it was Carl Shearer who set the template. And that team was outside of the lever, lever Wayne Cooper, uh, Calvinat trade. The rest of that team was all Carl Shearer players. And they really, it's like they won 52 games that year and went to the Western Conference Finals. A lot of that had to do with Carl Shearer. Carl Shearer went from there to the Clippers and didn't really work there because nothing at that time worked for the Clippers because of Donald Sterling. Then he went from there to uh, the Charlotte Hornets and became their first ever general manager, selected Rex Chapman, um, set the template for what they would become. I believe Alan Bristow was their first head coach. Um, So they they kind of set that way. They they became uh, a team uh, that was able to actually... You know, despite never really succeeding that much in the playoffs, thrive with some great players because of the, you know, the, the template that Carl Shearer set. Carl Shearer came back to the Denver Nuggets in 1990 for a very brief time. I think it was only about 10 months. And the only then the thing that marks his tenure with the Nuggets is the firing of Doug Mo. Um, now it is largely felt that Carl Shearer, uh, that was not his idea. That it was uh, Bernie Bickerstaff's idea. And uh, and it was also uh, Robert Wessler's idea. And uh, the whole spectacle around the Doug Moe firing was not good. You see Carl Shearer sitting there looking embarrassed. And it just wasn't... He he announced his own firing, basically. And it wasn't good. Uh, Carl Shearer was miserable during that time. And it knew it just was not going to last. So he left the Denver Nuggets... And that was really the last time that Shear was involved in an executive capacity with any team. Um, But what he did from 74 to 84 with the Denver Nuggets is unparalleled. And his effect on the modern game and pushing the pace and making it, keeping it from, you know, the, the dump it down to the center, um slow-paced basketball it was in the 60s and 70s, turning it into something that was much more is a lot to do with Carl Shear. Nuggets fans owe Carl Shear an enormous debt of gratitude, and I hope, I hope that the Nuggets will honor him tonight and give him what he deserves uh, as someone who was an innovator and someone who deserves a great place in Nuggets history. Thank you all for joining me on this latest Mortcast. I'll be talking to you guys later. Thank you very much.